Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host this evening, and with me is my lovely yellow player, Haley. It's pronounced Malthouse. It is not Malthouse. 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 That's why I have the logo. It's split. Malthouse Gamies. No. (laughs) Malthouse Gamies Podcast. That was more of like a (laughs) bad accent instead of a weird thing. Welcome to Delton's Foreign Language Lesson number four, Mastering Uh, Your Foreign Accent. No, that was, I don't know what that was, but it was bad. It was supposed to be just pronouncing, it's fine. Welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. Will you stop calling it that? (laughs) Episode 51, we are a board game podcast, tabletop games, card games, role-playing games, things of that sort. We also talk about beer and our lives a little bit. This is episode 51, and it's our first episode back from Token Con here in Oklahoma City, which was actually two weekends ago from when you hear this. So, turns out, I'm not observant. Haley is the least observant person ever. <laughs> I'm more of a big picture person. If this were the office, I would be Michael Scott and Delton would be Jim. He's more of the day-to-day operations, the small things. I am big picture. So I don't really notice a lot of the details. She notices zero details ever. I've been interacting IRL with John for the last year and a half and interacting on the Twitters with Anakin OU for the last year and a half. And just realized at TokenCon, they're the same person. Yeah, we did not connect his face with his Twitter profile. Which so, is Darth Vader with the lightsaber and OU in the background. Like, it didn't click. And he's like, yeah, I live in Edmond, the same town you guys do. I'm like, well, now I feel like an ass. Yeah, so that was good. <laughs> I don't know how I never made that connection. I just don't think it came up like, uh, I can't think of the word now. It didn't come up, I was going to say generically, which is completely wrong. Naturally in conversation. Organically, organically thank you. <laughs> it didn't just come up organically of like, oh, hey, by the way, you know, Twitterverse and boom. And then we get it. It just, yeah, it's one of those things. So, hi, John. Hello. I know that you're Anakin OU now. I've revealed your secret identity to the dozens of listeners we have. <laughs> your secret's no you longer go. safe. It is no longer safe at all. It was also really weird meeting. So we met other people who had listened to our podcast at TokenCon. And it's really strange meeting people who listen to this. Like, I know that people, we have listeners. But to me, this podcast, just me and Delton sitting in a room in our jammies, drinking a beer on a Thursday night and shooting the shit. It's really kind of a surreal feeling to have people who actually listen to it. Like, I went to go tell a story this weekend, was last weekend at TokenCon. And Cass like, yeah, you told on the podcast. And I'm like... Whoa, people actually listen to this thing? Yeah. Then, Why? So all of you <laughs> listeners, wonderful listeners, uh, you know just as much about our lives as we know about each other's, basically. However, we don't realize that in person. So it will catch us off guard every time. We're like, oh, uh, oh, you've heard things. <laughs> <laughs> you know all about my bomb sack full of erotic novels, it's, don't you? <laughs> yes, it sounds like the dirty laundry <laughs> and the skeletons in the closet all come out and listeners are just like, oh, yeah, you guys, mm, dirty rascals. We're like, what do we do? It's <laughs> I just, don't remember. It's just a different experience for some reason, but it's not bad. No, it's not bad. I'm really it's grateful we different. have listeners. I mean, I'm glad people are enjoying our podcast. And I I'm, hope so. I hope so. I mean, they're listening, and our numbers are growing, so if they thank don't, you all. If they don't, I just have to sell everything and <laughs> buy more board games. 
Uh, I'm calling BS on that. Everything's fine. Delta but Q. yes, we went to Token Con here in Oklahoma City, which was a great time. We got to see DC and Mac and Cass and Nick and Dallas and John and a bunch of other people that we met for the first time and a bunch of other people we saw. And it was just a weekend of gaming and hanging out. And then Haley did her presentation with David on psychology. Psychology and gaming. He talked about how a designer can design games to elicit motions. And I talked about how to cope with those motions once they get kind of wonky, like what I did at Gen Con a couple of years ago, talking about how to recognize those feelings of frustration before they leave, uh, go into rage quitting. Yes, and then we hosted the final show, the closing ceremonies and award show at Token Con. Yes, it was a lot of fun. We had a couple of the guys from 90 Second Nerd help us out. Uh, Nick and Dallas were there. Yes. But it was awesome to be able to host it, and we had so much fun, and we had some laughs, and we gave some awards, and we led some clapping, and we took some pictures, and it was an enjoyable experience. It was. It was a good time. I felt like that we were at least somewhat entertaining, all in all, and we talked about the awards people voted on, and I felt like it was a good closeout to the whole convention. But it was a very cool convention. Uh, they had a better gaming space than last year. They opened it up, made it a little larger, which was nice. They moved some stuff around, so that way the layout was a little more friendly for the vendors and friendlier for the gamers as well. And I just think it was a really nice layout, and it worked out. We had a good time with it. Really had no issues, so I was happy with it. Same here. I'm definitely looking forward to next year at Token Con. I'm glad we have something here in Oklahoma City. And next month to BGG Con. Yeah, so next month, November, we will be at Board Game Geek Con in Dallas. I have not looked at the podcast release schedule, which means I just haven't checked my calendar. And so I'm not sure if an episode will come out that weekend or one before it and one after it. One before it and one after it. Is that right? Because this one will release on the 21st. Yes. And so... The 27th hits is vacant. And then it would be the 3rd. Okay, and then the third has an episode. So the tenth. Oh, so one does release BGG Con weekend because the tenth okay. and the sixteenth is Mac and Cass's wedding, and then the twenty third mm -hmm. is BGG Con. Okay, so we'll have to record before BGG Con, but then we will record one of BGG Con for afterwards. So that's going to be that. Also, congratulations to longtime listeners, first time callers, Mac and Cass <laughs> on their upcoming nuptials. Yes, we're very excited to go to that wedding, and uh, I believe there's going to be a few board game themed things there. I can't remember if they talked about that. If not, we can make it. We can totally do something. Open up the back of the trunk for the after party. <laughs> <laughs> yep, just two rooms and a boom with the entire wedding party. We need two rooms and a groom. Oh. His little wedding themed. So we're redesigning the theme of your wedding, Mac and Cass. Yep, it's going to be two rooms and a groom. Congratulations. One room has the bride. <gasps> Instead of the president, it's the bride. Yeah, so it's like the bride and I think it's the mother-in-law. And it's, uh, I got to play it at Gen Con, but it's oh. the one that he's, he's talked about it. So Alan Gerding from the Tuesday Night Podcast has talked about Two Rooms and a Groom on his podcast, which is a bridal-themed, smaller party version of Two Rooms and a Boom made for weddings. I'm going to go ahead and shout out Alan, Allison, Jesse, and Catherine, our Patreon backers. Thank you, guys. You can go to patreon.com slash malthousegames to be like them and get a shout-out. Howdy ho, backers. But Two Rooms and a Groom was really awesome, and I can see how it's super fun at weddings, so that's pretty neat. But yes, we should just take over their wedding and be like, here's what we're doing, y'all. Woo! I don't know why that went weird Southern. <laughs> that went, that didn't go weird Southern. That went Stone Cold Steve Austin. Woo! We're having some technical difficulties. We're not really. Our Delton is broken. 
So while we're rambling, we might as well be drinking while we're rambling. That's true, because we're almost done with the rambling, which means we need to start with the drinking. This first beer of the episode is from Elk Valley Brewing Company in Oklahoma. This is Magic Juice, a double IPA. It is 8.2 alcohol by volume. It says, I love the Northeast double IPA style. This fluffy, juicy, spellbinding brew came together during a crazy, turbulent, and magical summer and was first canned three days after the birth of my beautiful daughter. I hope it enchants you and spins your world around just like mine was. Cheers. I'm going to point out that, that was three sentences. That was a very long middle sentence. In, <laughs> Eloquent in usage that. of commas. There was a lot of commas in that. Oh, I got to play Tonto Core for the first time. We, <laughs> we did play Tonto Quarry, which, so, as I told Haley, you kind of have to look past the theme and just play it. Oh, I spilled beer. Here's the thing. The theme of this game, you are these wealthy homeowners, this wealthy dude, and you're getting these maids to come do your bidding, like clean your house and all this shit, but they don't work for money. They work for your love. They only get paid in your love, so you have to be the best love giver in order to get the best working maids but they're not only the best working maids they're scantily clad there are a lot of tits in this game there's your private quarter maids you can get they give you extra points and extra tits bonus and guess what i won the game i got the most tits because i had the most love to give it's definitely an anime weeb game um i did like the mechanics of it it's got a unique mechanic which is where they go to your was it your private quarters is that's the one with the extra tits they go to your private quarters yeah uh, it's basically a way to get a card out of your deck, but it turns into a set collection side mechanic of like, if there's, for every two of these, you get this many points or something. For a deck builder, it's actually a very interesting thing because you could use the cards in the meantime for their other abilities and then put them to the private quarters or whatever it's called uh, to get those extra points at the end. So it's kind of an interesting mechanic. I didn't think the game was bad. It's just like, I wish the theme was different. <laughs> I, I got a joke. Go for I got it. A, I got a name. For these kind of games, the weave games. Yep. It's not a deck builder, it's a dick builder. Thank you. And get it. I get it. Yeah. Because it grows as it goes on. Yeah. Okay. Because because of the artwork. And then just like most deck builders, the uh it's a very anticlimactic finish. Uh hey. Hey. Totes and appropes, it's fine. Totes and appropes. But right. This is rated E for explicit for a reason. <laughs> e for I thought you were gonna say E for everyone. I was like, no. <laughs> no. I'm talking about iTunes level, man. That's true. All right. Smell your beer. Smells like beer. Thank you. It's very descriptive. It smells like beer with like raspberry schnapps. There's some sort of sweetness to it. It smells very good, though. It doesn't taste, doesn't smell too hoppy. Very carbonated up front. The carbonation Ooh. dies to the end of the swallow. It dies off in a weird way. It's like you're waiting for that double IPA bitter climax like you know where it starts to attack your tongue yeah but you never get it it just kind of rounds out and falls down i've always enjoyed double ipas more than regular ipas because usually they're, they're more balanced and it's not as bitter and this one is the same but this is another case sort of like the beer that ben canellis gave us that ipa that was so good hi ben canellis hi ben these use this elk valley magic juice uses a lot more of the like earthy flavored hops so it's not so pungent it doesn't have that really tangerine, really citrusy taste. It's much more calm. Tastes like like good dirt. That's what you said last time, too. Yeah, like that dirt they sell on Etsy. 
it almost has some sort of a taste that reminds me of almost like a not as sweet fruit. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like a... It's a papaya. <laughs> some kind of fruit that's not super, super sweet. That's what this reminds me of. Like you're expecting sweet. You're expecting... With this, it's not a bad thing when I say this. You're expecting by the smell a completely different and more vibrant flavor than what you receive. But the flavor's not bad. Flavor's it's just not bad. Different. It's just different. But it's good. I like it. And it's pretty hazy, which is always a pro. All right, well, good job, Elk Valley. Now, let's move on past the beer and get into the game. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's it's a game. So, speaking of concoctions that aren't quite what you thought they would be, hey, it goes along with the theme. Today, <laughs> we're going to be talking about the Quacks of Quedlinburg, which was the 2018 Kennerspiel des Jahres winner, which is Strategy Game of the Year in Germany. Congratulations, quacks. Yeah, it is a uh, spoiler alert. I think that's well-deserved, actually. I, uh, I really thought this game was about ducks. Dalton kept saying before TokenCon, they're going to have quacks set up. They're going to have quacks set up. Quacks of Quedlinburg. I just kept thinking ducks because there's like camelup and little hedgehog games that they always have set up. Oh, and a no, kid in a shuffle. A kid in a shuffle. Did I say a kid in a snuffle? You did. A kid in a snuffle. <laughs> But this is quacks, and I was like, oh, it's about ducks. No, it's about wizards. Yep, so they are quacks, as in, like, uh, when you call a doctor a quack, like they don't know what they're doing. These are these are fake wizards, essentially. So, the Quacks of Quedlinburg, it's originally put out by Schmidtspiele, which is Smith Games in Germany, brought to the U.S. by Northstar Games. It is designed by Wolfgang Warsch, or Wolfgang Warsch, who also did The Mind, if I remember correctly, and he is also the designer of the Kickstarter game that finished that is Wavelength that I am so excited about that I played last year at BGGCon. I just want to point something out. Yeah. Speak of the devil and he shall appear. The very first, like, promo for the game or, like, promotional is, quote, an instant classic, Alan Girding, Two Rooms and a Boom. About on their Kickstarter. Wavelength? Yeah. Oh, totally, because uh, <laughs> Alan got in on an early prototype at Shucks last year, and then we got to play it in prototype form at BGGCon. I played it with Alan and Sean and all of them. And ah, then, that's right. then it hit Kickstarter, which I was so excited about, and I backed it, and now we're just letting them go through. The last production update looks really good. But anyway, that's another Wolfgang Varsh game. So this Wolfgang Varsh game, uh, as I said, is Quacks of Quedlinburg. Now, I am going to point something out that actually does drive me nuts. Uh, on the box, it has... Wolfgang Warsh's name, the game name, all the artwork and stuff. It has their Kennerspiel des Jahres image. It has the Shut Up and Sit Down recommendation and the Dice Tower seal of approval. Nowhere on the box or in, even in the books in the game does it mention the artist, the graphic designer, the editors, or anything like that. There's one spot in the rulebook that says the publisher and author thank all test players and rules editors. But it doesn't even mention, like, the graphic designer, which I feel like is an important job in this game. Yeah, and, it is really good. And the artist, which, you know, that's something that's very important. Especially for the actual game boards themselves, the little tableaus we have, which are uh, swirly pots of goo and gunk. Yep. And it's really difficult to make distinguishable lines and swirly pots of goos and gunk. Yes. But they made a really good, they did a really good job making distinguishable lines of swirly pots of goos and gunk. I think they did a good job making it feel like a cauldron of random goop, but, but also keeping organization. Yes, they, they organized their cauldrons well. of goose and gunk. 
but it drives me nuts when they don't recognize these people and I know that like it may have been the entire team but say that in the rule book say the entire team at Schmitzspiele was proud of the artwork they put together these eight names it's not difficult you literally paid to print the box with three different seals of approval type things on it you can pay to put an artist's name that's my rant. And then pay to put the Malthouse game seal of <laughs> approval on after that, but only after that's, you put on the graphic designers and artists. That's like God. six years from now, maybe. No, uh, it's today. Anyway, back starting to an the initiative, actual game. We should write a letter. No, starting with the actual game, Quacks of Quedlinburg. So this is a push-your-luck style game where you are crazy wizards trying to make your basically snake oil random cauldron concoction to sell to people. The way the game is going to work is you start out with a bag pre-filled with these little tokens. You will reach in and draw one, place it in your cauldron. They are numbered between one, two, three, and four. And when you draw it, you move it one space if it's a one and put it on your cauldron and it's a little spiral starting from the center. Or if it's a three, then you'll take it and you'll count three spaces and put it there. The further you get, the more points you're going to get for that turn and the more money you'll get to purchase new tokens to fill your bag. So it's also a bag builder. The game is going to go over the round of I think eight or nine turns I can't quite I think it's eight turns total or eight rounds where everyone's pulling from their bag putting things in their cauldron resolving the effects of different tokens some happen during the turn some happen after the turn is over and then you'll be gaining points buying new tokens to fill your bag to hopefully have a better draw and then you'll continue now the reason the game is a push your luck game is in your starting bag you have these white tokens which are bad If the total of the white token value on your board ever goes over seven, then you bust. Essentially, your pot boils over and explodes or something like that. I can't remember what the rules say exactly. But you bust, and then the big big penalty there is you don't have a chance if you're in the lead to roll the bonus die. So if you get the furthest in your cauldron point track, you roll a die for a benefit. But you can, on a normal turn, you will take points and purchase power for more tokens. When you bust, you have to choose either points or purchase power for more tokens. That's the big penalty there. That was such an alliteration. Points or more purchase power. It really was. But you have to get to that point, right? That part. 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 Blah, 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 blah. Aside from that, uh, the game has a couple other things. Uh, there's a little vial that you can flip over like you're drinking the vial or pouring it in to get rid of a white token. There are some different things that move on the board to make it where you don't start at the zero space. You can start at like the six space and things like that. There's also a catch-up mechanic in the game. Whoever's in the lead, whoever is behind the lead player, there are these rat tails on the score track, and you get to move up that many on the track in the cauldron. You know, stuff to help you catch up and to make sure the leader doesn't run away. See, and that's the one thing that maybe I don't like as much about the game. I'm not a big fan of catch-up mechanics. But that's for me. If I am losing in the game, I want it to be, co- to be because I suck at the game or I don't have the right strategy. If I'm winning at the game, I want to know it's because I came up with the right strategy. And so I know for a lot of people, when they play games, if you are losing at first, uh, it makes it difficult to stay engaged. But for me, this is just me personally. I'm not feel- I don't say this is for every game for- or for every player. But for me personally... If I'm losing at the beginning of the game, that's just more incentive for me to work harder to come up on top. I don't really like the catch-up mechanic portion, but I don't like that in any game. See, and I differ in that because this catch-up mechanic is very good because it can give you anywhere from just a couple more points or a couple more spending dollars 
up to sometimes like seven or eight, which is big in spending. That's like a whole, you know, second or third token at that point or a whole extra, you know, three or four points. Um, I like it because this game has so much luck involved. You're literally putting these tokens in a bag, shaking the bag around, and drawing them out one at a time. To me, a game with that much random chance needs a catch-up mechanic because, and this was one of my complaints in the game, is when you get a bad turn and you draw poorly, it does not feel good. Uh, when you get a big turn and everything hits and you're like, boom, boom, and this token allows me to do this, and then this token allows me to double how much it moves, which gives me this many more points, and all these things happen, but then you get a bad turn and your very first four tokens and you bust. Then you sit there while everybody else finishes their turn. It comes around to you. There's no point in taking points. You maybe get four, five, so everybody else is getting 15, 16. You have to take the purchase power and buy more tokens and just hope to do better. So. In those scenarios, I think the catch-up mechanic is a necessity because if you happen to get two or three of those poor, just bad luck turns, it could really turn the game sour and make it where you don't have any chance. And see, for me, that's part of the fun of a press-your-luck game. If I press and I press and I press and I press and I bomb, like, I know that's on me. That's me pushing my luck too far. Or if I get a turn that's really crappy, that just gives me more incentive to work harder next time. I really like those challenges that it comes. I mean, I understand when I do have a bad turn, then my brain's not going, okay, I need to buy a big point token so it moves far and the ability is stronger. I'm thinking I need to buy like three small tokens to dilute my bag a little bit to give me a better chance of just getting a few more points or a few more of the purchase power. I don't know if it's called money. I can't remember what it's called in the game. But I feel like that's such a necessity with a high luck game. And I think for me, that's what it comes down to is the luck factor. This game has a much larger factor of luck going in. But the good thing is you have the options, you have the abilities like a deck builder to manipulate and alter and change your chances. So that is good, but it is still such very high luck that I just feel like it needs that catch-up mechanic and it needs ways for people to stay involved because if I had two turns in a row, like I did that one time where I drew four and just busted, I'm not going to want to play much more after that. So keeping me involved by going, okay, well, now I get a huge bonus, so this next turn I can at least feel like I have a chance. I think that, for me, that's essential. So it makes sense, though, that you like to rely more on your own strategies, your own play, over having a catch-up mechanic help you. But I think, too, you're going to be in the very minority with a game like this. I think so. So this game is like the ultimate impulse control game. And something yes. that, that Paul pointed out, Paul is one of the organizers of TokenCon. Uh, Delton had posted our score stats for this game. We played it multiple times now. We played it five times now. I have both the highest score and the lowest score. I always think that I'm really good at impulse control, but apparently not when it comes to pressure luck games because it paid off for me really, really well by getting the highest score ever, but it also did not pay off for me by, as evidenced by me getting the lowest score ever. Yeah, you really were both ends of the spectrum, and I was all in between. I had the highest losing score, my uh and the lowest winning score. I think I had the lowest or, winning score yeah. and then I also like my low my highest losing score I think was like 1 point different from the average winning score or something like that. So it is. It's it's you can press your luck and sometimes it'll pay off and other times it won't. But I love pressure luck games for that reason. I love that there's a little bit of fate involved. There's a little bit of things that you can't control. And because there are things you can't control, you have to constantly be adapting. I love strategy games. Don't get me wrong. I love strategy games where I have to sit, or like Agricola. 
I can plan six turns in advance. I can just sit there and have six, my next six turns. I mean, give or take if someone takes something that I want. I can have multiple turns laid out. I know exactly what I'm going for, what I'm doing, and I can just sit there. But I don't feel as engaged in those games because if I can figure out my turns, or at least a general idea of my turns for six turns in a row, then I'm just kind of going to be tapped out whenever my turn comes around. I'm just going to do my turn and da-da-da-da-da, on goes next person. But something like this, a pressure luck game where you constantly have to be thinking and evaluating. Should I press my luck further? What's the risk? What's the benefits? How much more can I go? How many tiles do I have in this dang bag again? Oh my gosh, am I really at six and I only have four points? Like, I, I love that it's constantly changing, constantly challenging you. It really is. And one thing that I like, uh, that I definitely want to point out in this, is that uh, this game, so, in this game, you have the white tokens, which are bad, and you have the orange tokens, which are just always pumpkins. They're always the same. It's a one-space pumpkin. You then have green, blue, purple, red, yellow, and black. So those are the other color of tokens that you have the opportunity to purchase and put in to your bag. Every single one of those, aside from black, I think black stays the same no matter what. Every single one of those has three different values, a two, sorry, a one, a two, and a four. And every one of those has a different power that comes along with it. The best part is not only does it have one power, but when you set the game up, there are actually four sets of tiles. There one. There's one tile that one side is the one set, the other side's the two, another tile has the three, and on the back of it, the four. Every single one of the blue, green, red, yellow, and purple tiles have four different sets, which means four different powers for each of those. You can mix and match and do random, which we did one time, but then there's set one, two, three, and four that they recommend playing with because those sets are able to uh, they're basically pre-calculated to where all the tiles are supposed to work together. And something about that is the very high replayability factor of this game. I really like that you can play the game and have it different the next time and then start throwing in, okay, we're going to play with set number three, but the blue tile is actually going to be on its set four variation. There's so many combinations. Just like the other night, we played three games back to back to back. Three of this game back to back to back and it was different each time we had different goals we had different things to work with and it was fun it made it really fun the basic components of the game are the same but the rules that you're playing by that changing factor i really like and they're not complicated they're very simple rules uh some of them happen during pulling out of the bag and putting in the cauldron and some of them happen after everyone is done pulling and putting things in their cauldron and it's awesome because the replayability factor comes in there then you can really take these tiles and use them to manipulate your chances and your luck and try to do better things and be able to get further in your cauldron. So the blue tile on the number one set is possibly my favorite, which is where if you pull it out, if it's a one, you look at one tile from your bag and you may place it in your cauldron. If it's a two, you look at two tiles and you may place one of them on your cauldron. Or if it's the four, you may look at four tiles and put one in the cauldron. So it allows you to look ahead and start planning things out. That 77 score, that top score ever, that's the that. mechanic I used. Exactly. And that's one of our favorite of the powers for some of these to tokens. So uh, I felt like that's a huge thing with this game is it's a fun push your luck. It has a high replayability factor. Yes, some turns and rounds are going to be a little low if you screw up early or... Have no impulse control. You, or if you just get bad luck, that can happen. 
However, I think everything else in this game just keeps it going. And the fact that I don't think a single game, even our first one, took over 45 minutes. Yeah. We average about 32 minutes for our plays. Like I said, we played three games. It probably took us set up and everything two hours to play three games. If that, yeah. If that. So one last thing I want to say about the game before we move on. Uh, we do have the Board Game Geek store online, BGG store, has upgraded tokens for this game. Now, they are expensive. They're basically as much as you're going to pay for the game at outside of retail. What? No, for real. What? I told you that. What? It was my fun budget. It's fine. So <laughs> these tokens uh, are upgrades. The tokens in the game are regular cardboard chits. They can wear. They can start to fray. You're tossing them in a bag. They like to stick together. Like I find that for me, they're not my favorite. However, we had plenty of fun playing with those. Just a piece of chit. It's a piece of chit. Uh, we had plenty of fun playing with that. And I mean, just like Altiplano or Orleone, where you throw things in a bag, mix it around and pull it out, you're really not going to have an issue. But these upgraded Board Game Geek tokens, yes, they're expensive. I want to say they're like $42 or something on their online store. Uh, they're expensive, but I felt like they were a worthy investment for a game that we got five plays in less than a week. And I'm already excited to show this to Allison and show this to Brian and play this with Mac and Cass and just play it more i've had such a fun time with this game i feel like they're a good upgrade to me it's they're kind of the only way that i want to play it now that i've used them however i would never turn down a game with the regular chits but i wanted to point out that we have been using those and i do think they're a not a necessary like improvement in quality to a token in the game but i do think that it's if you can afford that that's the problem is it is expensive if you can afford it and you think it's something you would like, I do recommend that. Or ask it from Santa. Or ask it from Santa. Or if you're going to BGGCon, they mark their prices down a little bit when you buy it physically and they're not shipping. So West. that's also there. But I wanted to point that out. And they do have an Herb Witches expansion for this game that just came out recently. Um, those tokens, I think BGG said, won't be in until early 2020. So... I'm going to wait to get the expansion until I can get the tokens because now that I play with them, I have to get that. So that also adds to extra costs. So just keep that in mind. Aside from that, I think the quacks talk is done. I really we, like the game a lot. We can stop quacking now. We can stop quacking. But I really enjoy it. I see why it won the Kinderspiel des Jahres. It's not as much of a strategy game as I wanted it to be, but I'm also glad it's not because it's just been a great time. It's like playing blackjack. You can do your best. Sometimes you're just going to bust, no matter what. However, it's been really, really fun to get into. It has been really, really fun. And now let's drink. So now that we're done quacking about Quacks of Quedlinburg, let's move to the next beer before we get into the topic. So this second beer is from Vanessa House Beer Company. This is from Oklahoma City as well. It is an 8.4 alcohol by volume. You realize these are both 8% beers. Hell yeah, brother. Given we're having a half a beer apiece, it's only one beer, but still. We Thursday also, night. It's a school night. We also had a really weird dinner of couscous, vegan Caesar salad, which is just salad with dressing. Haley had some peppers and stuff in hers. I ate basically a full cucumber with a little kosher salt. We had miso soup, and then I made a peanut butter, banana, strawberry, like almond milk, chia seed, blended up smoothie thing for dessert. People are going to start assuming that we're actually healthy <laughs> instead of eating like the vegan Annie's pizza rolls. 
every other meal like we actually do those were really good god those are good but it was a very strange dinner and so the beer's basically just going on a full stomach so it's not gonna bother us beers balance out the health it does so vanessa house beer co this is broken tile a juicy hazy aromatic double ipa it says did you ever have a roommate who destroys common property and won't cop to it yeah us too he made the mistake of mixing (laughs) wine emotional distress and a bath the result was several broken tiles and 10 years of denials Take our advice and just stick to a shower beer after a long day. Hashtag, we know what you did. <laughs> I, I have so many questions. Oh, my God. I do, too. The best part about these local Oklahoma brewers are they're very small, and it's usually some guy who started home brewing and five or six years later decided to open a brewery, and here we are. Hi, Matt. Yeah, that's exactly Matt from Frenzy Brewing. It's going to be Edmund's first brewery. Question. Okay. Before we start drinking the beer, what is your worst roommate story? My worst roommate story? Or one that sticks with you. Should I talk about Cullen? Maybe he who should not be named. So Cullen is <laughs> I was trying a to great, protect him. great friend of mine. Uh, He's a great person. I have been good friends with Cullen for a long time. He was the best man at our wedding. Uh, we've played hours of video games together, League of Legends, things like that. We've spent countless hours doing the dumbest things in high school and elementary school. We've been friends for a long time, since either second or third grade. Or fourth grade. Second second or third grade. I say third. He says second. That's it. It's fine. So we've been friends for a long, long time. I've also lived with Cullen in two different apartments at different periods in our lives. Cullen has a problem of not understanding there's a thing called a plunger. And he thinks if he lets it steep, it'll be able to flush like no problem. Was he wrong? Yes. he was. <laughs> it was a disgusting and gross habit that we have never been able to break him of. And I'm hoping that his current girlfriend, bless her soul, has been able to break him of this habit that he's been just suffering with forever. Hashtag thoughts and prayers. <laughs> exactly. But Cullen's been a great friend of mine. I just, that's always stood out to me as like, damn it. That's why I don't want roommates. That is why I don't want roommates that aren't cats or you. Okay. So what's your weird roommate story? So I had this roommate in college, my very first year. My best friend left me for a sorority and quit talking to me. It was the best friend I had known since I was probably in the second grade, so kind of like Cullen. She just quit talking to me and left during the Christmas break, and I came back to an empty room next to mine, and my one of my other roommates invited this other gal to move in, and we did not get along. She'd never cleaned. She left messes everywhere, ate all my food, and the next year I was like, I'm just going to do potluck. I'm just going to, I didn't address it with her. This is before Haley learned how to actually handle conflict. I'm just going to move out. It's going to be fine. I'm going to go to another apartment. Guess what? Guess what, Delton? What? Potluck gods were bad to me because she was my next, she was in my roommate again the next year via potluck. Great. She, I will (laughs) never forget that she stole my uh, towel shelf. She stole a cake pan, and she ate all of my triple-stuffed Oreos and promised me to buy another package. And you know what? That was in 2011. This is 2019, but that memory is still fresh, and it's still raw, and it's still traumatic. That was a long time ago now. I still hold on to it dearly. That grudge. That's horrible. (laughs) (laughs) That's my horrible roommate story. But she followed me. Potluck gods are bad. That's what it sounds like. So in terms of the beer, I've been taking small sips over here. It smells like a standard double IPA, a little tame, not too many hops on the front. 
it's pretty carbonated in the middle, but the front comes in smooth, but it finishes, I feel like, more carbonated. It hangs around in the mouth a little bit, a little bit more than the last one does. If someone says, give me a double IPA, this is your standard double IPA. Like, there are no yeah. frills about it. There are no changes about it. There's no, like, additional fruit or earthy tones. This is just a, hey, we made a double IPA, and this is it. It's this very, is it. It's very solid, though. Like Very it's, solid. It's, it's not very to, good. Not to say it's boring. No, not at all. This but is, it's, like, old reliable. Yeah, it's like, I want a double IPA. Well, by God, here's a double IPA. Yeah, I think that's right. I Drink think that's this accurate. in the shower, as they say. This is a shower beer. Yep. <laughs> because it is, so here's the thing. It's reliable because whenever you are having a shower beer, you are not in an emotionally stable state. You need as much reliability and familiarity as you can handle. And this will do it. This will do it. Plus, it's 8.4%, so it's going to get the job done, by God. It will. So, yeah. Good job, Vanessa House. Good job, this Vanessa is really good. House. Clink, clink. Clink it. Uh, oh, we got it. I think yeah. the mic will pick that up. So let's move out of this and on to the topic. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. Oh, God, we're just now getting to the topic. We're just now getting to the topic. So Quacks was one I had a lot to say on, but I felt like it was all hopefully entertaining and interesting and made sense. You know, We'll find out when we edit. We, I will find when out when edit. I edit, you turd. The topic for today's episode is going to be push your luck games because as I talked about with Quacks of Quedlinburg, you are pushing your luck every single turn. Haley spoke a little bit about why she likes push your luck games in the game segment, but it comes down to for me, and the reason I enjoy push your luck games so much is the rewards feel very big. When you have a big turn and your luck just plays out and you're able to combo and do some cool stuff, it feels fantastic. It feels great. The stress and anxiety brought on by, I don't know if I need to go again. Do I need to go again? I don't, uh, maybe I can. I think, I mean, the percentages, I might be able to make it. It's like an 8% chance that I fail. I think that's fine. I should be able to make it. And then you fail and you're like, no, but the emotions that are elicited by these games are fantastic. Anticipation, excitement, distress, failure, rinse and repeat. Well. I mean, there's happiness, too. <laughs> Don't leave out, like, the happy there's and happy joy and, joy and excitement. Well. well, I'm talking about my experience, because I just had an epiphany. This is why I only bring $20 into the casino every time that I go. Yes. Because you have seen my Quacks of Quedlinburg sco- scores. So, yeah, I take 20 bucks only in casinos. And I guess, yeah, casino is, like, the ultimate push-your-luck. Everything in that place is pushing your luck, especially if you're playing, like, blackjack or craps or an actual table game, but the whole time you're putting money and you're just hoping for the best, trying to do what you can to make the most. Get me a vodka tonic and sit there at the penny machines for three plus hours talking to my grandma, living the dream. Exactly. That's not Lemonade. So That's Not Lemonade is a push your luck game since it is black stack, black stack, black jack style. And that is one that when you can make it and you can beat your opponent, it always feels good. But when you get out with those one of those That's Not Lemonade cards, that always sucks. <laughs> when it's like the first card you get. Right. But push your luck game. That's just what's going to happen. But that's like a light and fun one because you can play yes. multiple rounds of that. Exactly. And I have played that with my drunk parents multiple times and it is a hit around the holidays. And obviously with the, like a style of game called push your luck, it's got to be luck driven and luck heavy. There's not going to be ways that you can just plan this strategy and it's going to work out perfectly. 
that's not the kind of game these are. You're betting to win. So like like strike. Strike is a push your luck game. Definitely. Also it's great. Isle of Sky. Isle of Sky has a little bit of that element. Yeah. Trying to get your hoping your opponents like don't burn or how much money you're gonna put down, things like that. Because you don't don't want to put down like half your coins for something that your opponent's just gonna burn on. I think something else in push your luck games that make them so fun or so entertaining to be part of is not only is it your own emotions that are coming out and your own thoughts and turns, but watching your friends go through the range is enjoyable. I mean, the, the, even with something like Quacks of Quedlinburg, where the only token that's going to be doing anything with any of your opponents is the black one, which just says, uh, I think it's in a two-player game, if you have more of these than your opponent, you get like a bonus. And in a normal game, it's if you have an equal amount to your opponent to the left and right or more than opponents to the left and right. So you're still not interacting, but it matters what they put down. That's it. But even though that's all the interaction that game really has, it's still so much fun to watch your opponents fail or watch (laughs) them have big turns and be like, I don't know how you pulled that off. There's something about that, about witnessing these moments, whether good or bad. And I think that's something that push your luck games have over a lot of others. Yeah, you have that whole range of emotions and everybody's having a different emotion at the same time. It's like the time uh, for Andrew's bachelor party in Kansas City. We went to the casino and Kyle played blackjack and he split his hand and he hit and just played it out just right and was able to come out like $200 ahead of what he came in with. And then he was like, all right, I'm tapping out of that. But it was an amazing play to watch because he knew what he was doing. He had thought about it. He had watched the cards that came out and he saw exactly we're splitting. We're going to hit here. We're going to hit here. We're going to do it this way, blah, 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 blah. And then it was perfect. And it was so neat to see. And his calm and collected attitude that then went to like happy. It's just such a neat thing to see. And only push your luck games are going to have that. So basically push your luck games provide all the excitement of gambling without going into crippling debt. Uh, yes. But just like gambling, it's only if you want to put money on it that you have to. So even Quacks of Quedlinburg could turn into crippling debt. As evidenced by the lowest score of all time. I was going to say, as evidenced by the tokens I paid for for it. Uh, (laughs) And plan to pay for it. (laughs) So just to give like some of the top, you know, a couple games that are really highly rated that are Push Your Luck style. So King of Tokyo. King of Tokyo is very popular. You're rolling dice. You're trying to stay in the middle as long as you can. You're trying to push your dice and do re-rolls and stuff like that. So that kind of has that Push Your Luck element. They also have Coloretto, which is... uh, the small card game that we have where you're hoping your opponents don't take things and whatnot. And then you have welcome to the dungeon, which we have where you're trying to hope no one takes the, uh, like takes the card to go into the dungeon or uh, doesn't back out. Sorry to make you go. Would the escape game be a pressure luck game? Rolling the die escape game, the escape, escape, the curse of the temple, escape, curse of the temple. You could probably consider it that. Because you're going to have to keep pushing further and further into the temple and finding these gems and stuff against the time. You could probably consider it that. If you get like four rooms away and the music starts going, yeah. then you need to get out. <laughs> yeah, it's like escape and all that random stuff. It's but there's plenty more. Any racing game like Formula D, Formula D where you're rolling dice and shifting gears is going to be that way. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of games that have push your luck elements involved and some of them that you could consider just a push your luck game. but. I think it is one of those uh, game styles that's just really fun. I may not have a lot of them, which is why my knowledge of them is not very high. However, I do think that they are very fun, and Quacks is probably my favorite right now. 
We just need to improve our knowledge by starting a gambling. I don't think that's a great idea. Let's go to Hinton. I was talking about this in the last presentation I did for uh, the conference I did in North Carolina. Uh, there is this weird thing in the Hinton Casino. The Hinton is off of exit 101 uh, off I-40 in Oklahoma. And it's where Delton's parents live now. But there is a casino out there, the Hinton Casino, that hosts a lot of concerts of pretty decent named individuals. You can get in for like 30 bucks. It's pretty nice. But you go in on a Saturday night and one... Somebody is always singing the or saying the Pledge of Allegiance as part of karaoke. It's not like they're starting karaoke at the Pledge of Allegiance. Some guy is actually saying the Pledge of Allegiance for karaoke. But two, a bunch of people have troll dolls lined up all over the slot machines. They're their good luck charms. And nobody really likes troll dolls. But the good thing is if you go on a Tuesday night, you get $10 in free play if you're a woman and you get free ice cream. I think the ice cream's free no matter what. But yes, the free $10 for that. And there's also a $10 college night if you have a a student ID. So that's kind of neat. But enough about that. Let's move into the questions so we can wrap this episode up. And now, join us for a Malthouse Games podcast special bite-sized question. Let's wrap it before we tap it. Delton, what is the question of the episode? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) That's really pushing your luck there. Uh, the question of the episode today is what thing in real life do you push your luck at? Speaking of wrap it before you tap it, dating. Definitely. It's a push your luck game because think about it. You find this person and you start to invest your time, your resources, your money, your emotional availability. And at any time that person can be just like, I'm peacing out. So you're really pressing your luck putting all this emotional and monetary investment into this person who could just like go at any moment. Now they can also turn into your spouse. Like Delton is ever so lucky to have me turned into a spouse. Hi. And so it's not always a bad thing. Like pressing your luck can be a good thing, but you got to risk it for the biscuit when it comes to dating. It's very true. I think I agree with all that. Science fact. Science facts. I say that the biggest place I think I, I, not really the biggest, but the times I like to push my luck, which I think every single one of you listeners will agree with, is uh, the official name is Amber Lights or Yellow Lights at a stoplight. Because if you're going and that light turns yellow, uh, you're probably going to try to make it for the most part. What I do in my mind is I find a spot on the concrete with my eyes and I say, if it turns yellow and I'm before that point, I'm going to stop. If I'm after that point, I'm going through. And I think we push our luck because sometimes we're going a little too late through that yellow. And, and sometimes, sometimes there happens to be an officer just waiting on you. An Edmund Bike Cop hiding behind the bush behind the Catholic school. Here's the big key. Never, ever, ever speed up for a yellow. If you have to speed up, you're too far. Don't. Slow down and just stop if you have to speed up to make it. Because if they get you going through a yellow and you're speeding through a yellow, then it's really an issue. But that's where I push the luck push my luck and it's not very often but when it does happen i'm always like "Ooh, i hope that was okay well here's the thing when it comes to my case dating and your case yellow lights i lucked out with a honey bun and you have never got a ticket for running a yellow light that's true so we worked out high five that was a really bad high five but it's okay it works (laughs) so thank you for tuning in to this episode number 51 of the malt house games podcast the Malt House Games Podcast. No, the Malt House Games Podcast. If you would like to send us a question to talk about or answer during the show, 
a topic to talk about, or if there's a game you would like us to discuss, uh, feel free to send that to us, contact at malthousegames.com. Remember, that is M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S. Malthouse. Will you stop with the Malthouse? <laughs> if you want to hit us up on social media, we are at Malthouse Games on everything. Haley is at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-L-Y-G-E-E-K. And I am at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. So I guess we've already shouted out our Patreon and our awesome Patreon backers this episode. Again, we appreciate you, Alan and Allison and Catherine and Jesse. I think that's going to wrap it up. I feel like every episode I say, am I missing anything? And I edit that out, but I'm always feeling like I'm missing something. So I'm going to announce publicly, I don't think I'm missing anything. So you're going to listen to this on, on Saturday when you're editing it and be like, oh, God dang it, I missed something. I'll be like, shit, I missed it. Well, then I'll just be able to put it in post and I'll be like, hello, this is post delta talking. Anyway, until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink and play some games. We'll talk to you folks later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.